Hello, welcome to another edition of Transatlantic Tea Time. Normally we start these off and I will have my two colleagues and friends, Dan and Tim on, uh, but today we have just one of them. So as a little teaser, um, we're gonna bring him in uh, from a new location. <laughs> Good morning, sir, or afternoon hey, for you. Yeah, mid -af late afternoon for me, although the sun is still out. Yeah, I'm, uh, hello from, from, from Paris. Uh, IDS are back on the continent. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's uh, that's awesome. You know, we uh, we've been waiting for this day. Uh, I know you've got some special connection to France, and so maybe you can you can share that. And uh, uh, we've already we've already seen uh, your first um, travel faux pas. The getting used to doing this. Uh, <laughs> no AirPods or earbuds uh, right now. They yeah. you left you left doing work. So you could come join me on video and your AirPods remained on the desk. That's right. That's right. They are, um, they're, they're, they're Jabra, Jabra brand. I'm not, I'm not selling here. I'm not, uh, I'm not making any kickbacks from this. <laughs> they're great earbuds, but they, I left them in the apartment where I'm staying on the desk. That's right. So, um, I'm, I'm struggling to hear you slightly and, uh, normally I'd be better, better equipped for this. Uh, but yeah, here, here, here we are. Uh, so sorry about that. Um, you know what, uh, without uh, putting a date on this uh, recording so that people um, don't necessarily know when we recorded this, you can make it up for, to me by buying me a pint next week as <laughs> uh, we will do an, we'll do another transatlantic tea time, though there won't be a transatlantic element to it. It'll just be tea time as That's I'll be right. joining you and uh, Mr. Ruprecht in London. But this is not about next week. This is not about London. This is about Tim in Paris. So uh, what, what can you tell us? Uh, the world opened up over there and clients said, come and, and join us. That, that's right. That's right. So I've, um, I've always, like you said, I've, I've had a connection to Paris for, for a long time. Um, my, my wife is, uh, wh whose birthday is today, by, by the way, so happy birthday, Lem, um, was born and raised uh, here, pr probably five or six minutes from where I am. It's a big city, but... I happen to be right around there, um, but th that's sort of by the by. I mean, since probably 2014 or 2015, we've had quite a few great connections over here in, in Paris. They tend to work on uh, larger matters like we do, regulatory type matters that touch on multiple jurisdictions. Uh, so, you know, c coming and visiting them in their, their, their home base is extremely important, uh, both, both sure. culturally uh, and just sort of uh, for, for, from a personal perspective is, is very important. Um, a lot of the work is, I, I will say, a little bit different. Uh, more internal investigations, compliancy audit focused, um, l large scale regulatory driven investigations, but less of the uh, disclosure discovery type work, mostly because there is no discovery regime in, in Europe outside of the United Kingdom. We just don't, we just don't have that on, on the continent here. So, so the type of work that, that um, we're all used to seeing in America and the UK doesn't exist here in the same way. It doesn't mean that clients don't have data-driven challenges and data-driven legal challenges. Uh, they're just a bit different. Yeah, interesting. Um, you know, one of the, so by the way, yes, happy birthday to your, to your wife. And, um, uh, I was going to attempt to speak a little French. Uh, I was afraid, Tim, that then you would have us record your daughter 
who could speak French much better than I can. So probably better than me as well. <laughs> that that's that is that is true. Um, so one of the things that you shared with me recently that that is different is how um, the cloud is considered differently in France and data being yeah. in the cloud. That that was really something that uh, I was unaware of. Yeah, I can I can actually elaborate on that a little bit. And it, it's some of it's um, we've talked about this. I mean, it seems ad nauseum amongst maybe Dan Ruprecht and some of us in the kind of Euro circle, but it's always worth bringing up to to, to people um, that, that might be curious about this. So a lot of the heavy hitters in the cloud market are, well, are Microsoft Azure and Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud. Uh, there's, there's a handful of kind of American-based, very large, very successful, well-organized, well-functioning cloud providers. Um, in France in particular, uh, they, they have data protection sensitivities that are heightened, just like the Germans would or the, or the Belgians or the, or, or, or the Swiss or anybody here in Europe for, for that matter. But what the French also have are uh, a set of a statute called, called the blocking statute. And you're free to, to, to look this up, uh, but it effectively wholesale prohibits the export of business records from the four corners of, of French territory. It's quite strict. Uh, th there's also something that um, that that law firms and clients here are quite uh, concerned with, which is the Cloud Act. People can also look that up if you're not familiar with it. Uh, but this was born out of necessity and, and I, I believe it was in battling um, sort of drug distribution, child trafficking, some, some pretty nasty criminal stuff. Uh, and I, I believe the original intent was to secure the right to obtain data hosted on cloud providers like Microsoft Azure if such criminal offenses were thought to be transpiring. So long story short, uh, European, particularly French law firms and clients are afraid of uh, the DOJ, you know, uh, read FBI or, you know, uh, National Security Agency, NSA, being able to reach into American owned environments because of the American companies cooperating with with those big government agencies. So they prefer to have servers and data centers inside the country, either physically, or perhaps using something like OVH cloud which is very similar to AWS, but it's wholly French owned, uh, wholly French operated, uh, and you know meets certain standards and criteria that they prefer. Now, I can objectively say some of that might be a perception issue, uh, but when, when this many clients and this many people are bringing it up casually in conversations, where, where are my data stored when you're working in France? It's, it's the it's the tail end of every conversation we have. So it's not, it's not a one-off concern. Uh, and, it, and it's treated very differently. In, in the UK, we, we tend to be a little more in the middle. Uh, so we might follow American trends in terms of how we deploy technology, but the rest of the continent is still, uh, and perhaps rightly so, uh, a little more conservative about where their data is stored and who might have access to it, even just from a perception standpoint. Does that- yeah, so I, I yeah, yeah. I, I, like I said, I found that interesting. And, and uh, the marketing side of me sits there and says, this is their version with respect to, to data storage is buy local. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. You mentioned that one company that's very French, French owned, operated, all yes. of that. 
Um, so you had some, you had some good meetings. Um, yes. But on a on a personal level, you know, with this connection you have to France, I'm wondering what was the one thing you missed the most about not going to France. Start with that one. My goodness, I mean, it's not just one. Uh, probably. God, that's a tough one. I would say. What do you want? You want two? I'll give you. What do you want? Three? How many do you need? Two, I'll, three? I'll how about I take two or three just to. Just All right. All right. Safe. Uh, so eating and drinking is probably number one. Uh, London is a very sophisticated, gigantic metropolis, and there's a lot of cool things to eat and drink. But by far, your average sort of brasserie or cafe type place in France has has food and drink that are. Uh, a cut above the rest c compared to, to England. And the prices are generally more favorable too. You don't feel like you're spending a lot to eat well. I think the French have a very uh, stubbornly high standard for food and drink. So you, you end up with this kind of perfect storm or, or perfect condition of good quality food uh, in abundance for, for not a lot of money. So that that's one thing that I personally miss. Uh, and probably just the walkability of this city. London's also very walkable, probably bigger in area than than Paris. Uh, populations are a bit bigger in London too, but this is more like, uh, uh, this reminds me a little more of New York, where you can walk, it could be an hour and you don't realize you've walked for an hour. You know, you can walk along the river, you can, you know, pop in and out of these places and kind of just get lost because the whole city is, you know, architecturally gorgeous and you don't, there's so much to see in every every few feet that you walk that you're very not distracted but you're very um taken by it all so you, so you don't really mm -hmm. notice that time has passed uh you know if you compare that to places where i've lived many years ago like california or arizona you would go for you know many many blocks without seeing anything other than a gas station so a different kind of you know d different kind of uh landscape if you like the, yeah. so I miss those. I miss, I, I think I miss that kind of stuff the most, just kind of walking around here, getting lost a bit. And, um, you know, I mentioned my wife earlier, but seeing her, seeing her that happy, it's, you know, we've been stuck in London for two years, mo mostly because of COVID. Uh, so it's nice to get back to normal a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's great. I, you know, I trust me, I'm looking very forward to seeing you and Dan and, uh, in London next week and, and meeting with clients and, uh, connecting with some old colleagues. I also look forward to when we get to go to other parts of Europe. Paris is a place where I went to twice when I backed through Europe. We quickly stopped in, hopped a train to head down to other parts of Europe, and then I spent two days. But I was 18 and intimidated by <laughs> the French and given the impression that I'm American and they're not going to like me. And that's, I, I, without that's, the language, it would be a problem. Up. I think that's a... Uh... I don't think that's entirely a misnomer. I, uh, as as a Native American, a Native-born American, I should say, I, I, I can see what you mean. So sometimes there's a little bit of uh, uh, the outsider syndrome. I mean, you'll have this in England too, uh, as as the Dan as and I, despite living here for for many years in Europe, you you, you get to, you suddenly realize what it's like to be an outsider when you don't feel that way back at home, uh, but. I find honestly in Paris that people are, that are lovely. I mean, I, people are very um, uh, friendly. Hello, how you doing? Kind of chummy sort of thing. I find 
you know, it's not quite the same in London. People are much, I think people are much more likely to be rude on the streets in London than, than they are here. Um, and you were 18 years old. That wasn't that long ago, right, Jonathan? That was only 10, 10 12 years ago. Yeah, yes. Uh, let's go. Let's let's go with that. My my great story from that is um, uh, because I flew home early in the morning. I spent the night in the airport, and my friend <laughs> who was with me traveling, except for this last leg, had taught me how to say I don't speak French in French. I'm not going to do it now. <laughs> It'll be embarrassing. And he yeah. said, if somebody tries to talk to you, that's all you need to say. And I said, great. And we're at the airport, and it's late in the evening and this nice woman or she started off nice next to me, she asked me something in french yeah i told her what i was taught she asked me again i repeated myself and then she got very angry so i'm gonna say it's because i had such a convincing french accent <laughs> that she thought i just didn't want to engage in conversation with her but she proceeded to then stand up yelled at me for a little bit and then went on her way that but other than that it was very it was yeah, a wonderful a, time in in Paris. I had a great time to hear uh, pe people like that everywhere, not not just here. But I find that, you know, even if you would just even now, if you just probably say a few words in French, they'll immediately reply in English just based on your accent and stuff. Most most people under fifty or sixty years old in France speak English pretty well. But the whole idea is that you don't just assume that they're going to speak it. As long as you right. say a few words, they'll. You know, there's a lot of respect from the get-go, and everyone's really friendly. I, I find that it's—I've uh, never had an encounter, maybe once or twice, where everyone refuses to speak uh, English, and that can be a little difficult from our, from a professional perspective, because what we do is, as you know, well, is quite technical, and explaining things like analytics and um, you know, data triage and information governance and so, all of these things are not really in my French lexicon very well. So you have casual conversation and then you have to politely ask to switch uh, just so you don't, you know, lose, lose the messaging, if ah. you like. Yeah, I was going to I was going to ask that. I was going to ask of your four meetings, how many of them were in English and how many of them were in French? But it seems <laughs> like it's a it's a blend. It is a big blend. Um, probably one was entirely in French and then most of the others were a blend. Uh with a heavy focus on English. So typically what happens is you have a lot of greetings. How are you doing? How's your family been? How's, you know, you know, shoot the shit, how's the weather kind of thing. And then, uh, and then probably, uh, then probably our clients will speak in French and I'll probably reply in English uh, just, just to make sure I'm getting my point across clearly uh, because I'll, I understand 90 plus percent of what they're saying uh but because i don't live here and i'm not immersed in it and i'm not a native speaker it's a little difficult to be talking about structured data and uh investigative techniques in, in another language so and so i commend people that can do it extremely well my my wife being one of them it's, it's a difficult I, I have a lot of um I, I have a lot of sympathy and uh time for people that can express themselves that well in more than one language so really what you're telling me is we should have just hired your wife and not you. We, we hired the wrong Latula. Yeah. Yeah. yeah smarter and better looking. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed on, on both fronts. Well, I, you know, it'll be interesting as we, as we do get to travel into other parts of the continent to be able to have a similar type of conversation with respect to uh, being in Italy um, and, and uh, whatnot. That'll be interesting. Look forward to, uh, to that. Yeah. So, 
And, 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 and before we go, I really wanted to show you something important, uh, iconic in the background. You would expect uh, Notre Dame or the, the Eiffel Tower. Um, uh, Le Basilique uh, Sacré-Cœur is around the corner, which is, I know is one of Dan Ruprecht's favorite buildings, which is um, in English, I think that's the Sacred Heart. Yeah, Sacred Heart of Jesus. It's a Catholic church. It's a big kind of bubbly, beautiful church. I think they broke ground on it when they started building the Eiffel Tower, kind of late 1800s, and mm -hmm. it probably finished in the early 1900s. It's way up in the 18th district, way up a hill. I was there earlier, I kind of mistimed it, uh, and I, I wanted that to be behind me, but uh, one of my favorite iconic places in, in Paris for sure. Yeah, well, we would have, we would have, uh, I'm sure we would have loved the view. I know that you do like to uh, incorporate interesting uh, architecture and history in these, so, uh, maybe maybe next time, um, but certainly appreciate that. Uh, to our uh, to our listeners, uh, just a little uh, heads up as we do get to go out and visit different countries. Uh, Dan and Tim and I will do a transatlantic tea time at the beginning of their trip, and we're going to work on getting it posted quickly. Uh, I know I know that both of them have quite the following on LinkedIn, and that way, if you are if you are one of our listeners or viewers in one of these foreign countries and you find that you have some spare time, uh, Dan, Tim, IDS would love to be able to have you join for a meal, a coffee, a, a beverage, um, whatever it might be. And so we're gonna try to do these um, at the front end of the trip versus the, the return. Cause as you've heard, uh, Tim needs to get back to the UK and pretty himself up for my visit there as we That's have right. a, a week <laughs> full of, of fun. Um, so, so Tim, appreciate you taking the time with us today and being able to do a tea time remotely. Um, thank your family for letting you break free for a little bit. For those of you who um, this is your first transatlantic tea time, please feel free. Uh, I encourage you to sign up and subscribe to our podcasts, the audio versions from wherever you pull your podcasts down from. And you can go to our YouTube channel IDS TV and subscribe there to see the video version of this. Um, well, my friend, another country box ticked, ticked for us for our tea times. Safe travels home um, and enjoy the rest of uh, whatever time you have left there in Paris. Thanks, my friend. Mille merci et bonne journée. Oh, oh, oh. See, that's my French. <laughs> Take care. Thanks again, yeah, everyone. Man. Appreciate it.